Hi, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Raber, CEO and founder of The Workshop. I have a bachelor's in biochemistry and a PhD in organic chemistry from the University of Southern California. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged, obliged to learn the truth. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely protect them. Curious About Cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, bud tenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. This episode of the Curious About Cannabis podcast is sponsored by Mary Jane Athletics and the Train with Mary Jane miniseries. Mary Jane Athletics was started by Liz Thompson, a member of the Canadian research team that was recently awarded funding from the NFL in 2022 for a series of studies examining how cannabis can treat pain and concussions in athletes. The Train with Mary Jane miniseries follows the researchers, trainers, athletes, and family members participating in these groundbreaking studies provides a behind-the-scenes look into real-life, on-the-ground cannabis research that has the potential to save lives. Learn more about Mary Jane Athletics and the Train with Mary Jane miniseries at trainwithmaryjane.com. And if you happen to be an athlete or an athletic healthcare provider or trainer that would like to participate in these studies, go ahead and complete one of the research surveys that are available at trainwithmaryjane.com. That's trainwithmaryjane.com. And thank you very much, Mary Jane Athletics, for your support. We appreciate it. And if you'd like to sponsor the Curious About Cannabis podcast, visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsor to learn more. And now, back to the show. I don't know. Like, that's kind of like people like, oh, is cannabis industry, you know, going down? I'm like, well, they're not going to a licensed store. I don't think people are consuming less, but they're going to go get less taxes from the illicit guy. Right. That's a problem. Right. Right. Like, I don't think the country's consumption rate, if you were to see it all changed, um, I think, you know, which side of the market does it go to does because I got to buy gas and I got to buy food. And as those prices go up, I certainly have less disposable income to go to a dispensary. Um, And that's, you know, that's a big problem for those that are on the license side, unfortunately. Well, and that that kind of spins us right into some of the stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, kind of an interest, interesting thing on that point that I've seen out here on the East Coast. You know, um, very recently in Mississippi, we only had two operating testing labs that were functional in the state, and one of them just lost their license. Go figure. And so, um, oh, the regulator took it. Oh, they they suspended their license um, okay. and they're under they're under investigation. I mean, and that's so, encouraging, at least that they're willing is, to do that. Yeah, it is it's good that they took action. <laughs> right, exactly. So the so now there's one <laughs> lab in the state that's operating, and, and they're overwhelmed. <laughs> and the other lab that got their license suspended, they were testing about seventy percent of the products in the state, and all those products got quarantined immediately in metric as soon as that happened. Yep. And are you? I've been working with a dispensary and doing a lot of education with um, patients and things like that. And a lot of them were telling me that just because of that one incident, they're already starting to go back to, you know, their, what we now call the legacy market. Yeah. Um, The corner. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It really doesn't take much. And I think people really underestimate that, you know, that it's, it's not like people were not consuming and waiting for dispensaries to be around. Um, you know, most of these people were consuming already. And so it brings up some interesting challenges, um, that you and I are very accustomed to thinking about just in terms of our history with lab testing and kind of being part of that world and, and moving out of that into, you know, sort of the production R and D side. Um, it is, it is fascinating to see these troubles and how, how, 
just on the line we are really of keeping people in the legal market and it, it really doesn't take much um no. and i mean and, canada studied that did you see what they i don't think said? i saw that no so they kind of recognized the price elasticity was if it's about a dollar a gram more they'll mm-hmm. stay in the legal market but if you start pushing that further folks will start to say economically i'll choose to go to the illicit market and i think yeah. part of the problem is more complex you don't have an acute health issue from something that may be contaminated with a small amount of pesticides. Right. Right. Like you're like, I didn't smoke it and end up in the hospital because my kidneys were screaming at me. It was kind of, you know, if, you know, when do I see that problem? Um, And we might not notice that, right. Where folks had said, Oh, I actually 10 years down the road. Yeah. I'm having some organ issues because now I realized my guy was probably contaminated and that might've been where the problems were coming from, but I loved my guy and I kept using his stuff for years and years and years. Um, I think that's the the other side of that, right? You say like, hey, yeah. testing has value, but it loses value when the potency number is so off. Right? Like when <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh really, yeah, yeah, that's not, it's the same stuff I'm getting from my other guy, right? It, all the mm-hmm. stuff is pretty much topped out mostly. There might be some small differences, um, but it's not like the licensed guy is 45% THC and my, you know, my legacy market guy is only 20. Right. No, it may be 22 to 20. Right. And right, what right. makes probably more of the impact is a terpene differential. Um, but folks don't recognize that yet. Right. So they feel like, what do I value this testing when these numbers are potency numbers are so inflated and it's really, we all know it's wrong and we all kind of laugh about it. So what's the value in this? And now you're saying there's this plus tax plus, right. am I getting like the best stuff or is this the most differentiated? I hear, you know, a lot of guys in California stop cultivating Yep. Or did they? <laughs> right. Right. Like they exactly. Cultivating under license on paper. But, you know, New York still <laughs> lit up like a Christmas tree. Right. Like that's still yeah. going fine. So where is it going? Like, where am I getting it from? But I think consumers and patients don't value testing when the potency numbers are inflated. They don't recognize, a, you know, an acute issue. So they're not seeing, hey, there could be long term problems or I really don't want those things for my health anyway. If I'm not hyper immunocompromised or right. something. They should be caring, but they don't. And when we're all in our 20s, we probably think we're more invincible than we are. I mean, our kids think they're absolutely invincible, right? You're like, okay, let's see what this happens. There is a transition of I should probably pay a little bit more attention to not being invincible (laughs) because I'm not. Um, But a lot of folks in our market, you know, um, mid-20s, right, up to 30, like they don't think about – I'm not going to get sick. I'm relatively healthy. I just want something on my limited income and and my disposable income. So I'm going to go to the cheapest place. Um, And it's, you know, unless they're valuing product diversity or something unique that they couldn't get in a legacy market, which, you know, maybe there's a few products like that, or it's something medicinal where I've got to have certain ratios of things and those are only available there. But I think all those things in combination are really hurting the growth of the legitimate legal cannabis mm-hmm. market. Um, and it's, you know, the poor licensed operators, one, they can't collect money from dispensaries well enough to keep operating, you know, two, they're burdened by hard regulations and tax um, and challenging, you know, issues with recalls and complexities of licensed labs and things of that type. Um, and now we have hemp manufacturers that are starting to eat into their market calling THCA completely legal um, and you know, Delta, 8 and Delta 10, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm like, um, and most of the stuff that we've tested flower wise, you know, usually has more than 0.3% THC. Right? Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah you might have, I mean, so now we're wondering how many labs are kind of, you know, playing that game where they're not mm-hmm. reporting that or saying it was below their limit even though that might be 1% um, because you got a clean C of A and you feel like, great, I can ship it, but there's just like no way. Um, And that's a weird, weird interpretation, but farm bill won't be changing till the end of this year. Right. If then (laughs) it is an election cycle. I saw the, uh, the USDA pushed the uh, DEA licensure requirement down the road another year. Oh, um, I missed that one. Really? Ever, ever since it's uh, ever since the farm bill passed, they're like, <laughs> "All right, all you labs have to be DA licensed," and then no one does it. They're like, "Okay, there's not enough labs, so uh, we'll do it another year." And then uh, yeah. it's just like two weeks ago, right before December 31st, I think December 18th, they uh, okay. they said, "Okay, uh, another year." <laughs> I mean, I kind of think they shouldn't have to have it. Right? I agree. Like, yeah, it, uh, that seems a little onerous. That seems like 
you know, we probably don't need that. We need them to be accurate. We need them to be responsible. Mm -hmm. We need them to be monitored and making sure that they're not a diversion center. So I get all of that, but right. you don't need a license to do all that. Just go, go look at them, go regulate them, go check out That's where their stuff goes, go watch their waste stream. It's not like I need a license to do that. Um, yeah. Not a DEA uh, license, you know, a regulatory right. type of permission might be nice to have. But we don't have and, rules for those people in the under the And I think that's yet. that's one of the big things is um it's like who who is watching any of this? You know, who's who's actually, you know, the FDA will occasionally send out some warning letters or something, or the DEA will put out some speculative memo um <laughs> about something, but it's just like things just keep kind of getting drug into the future with no clear um insight into like is this is will there be enforcement uh, or or clarification right. on on these things are we just waiting for the next farm bill and then will there be enforcement lack um, of progress towards clarity and precision seem to be yeah. ex like exceedingly insane to me like i don't understand how it can move so slow when I, a lot of us know the answers like or at least how to make it better right, right. say so like hey let's take the next step and then reassess from there. Maybe we got something wrong, so we'll fix that. But it should be constantly evolving, not just like dragging. Yes, not just stagnant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's becoming this weird stagnant pool full of mosquitoes. Um, <laughs> some of these really sketchy producers. Um, and I wanted to ask you, since you're in California, what do you think about the approach that they just took of um, regulating the potency <laughs> testing method i haven't been asked that question yet thank you Jane. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like so now what you're like yeah well nothing's really going to change yeah so, yeah yeah you know i mean it, it will change i think the change is actually for a while um right it actually so now they say you have to use the same method okay like that's not really going to change anything but their state yeah. testing lab pulling a sample saying wait a minute i didn't get the same label number that you got and you should have done in this the same way that could cause some of the change so yeah. the way that they game the system doesn't have anything to do with the method that they're actually using right yeah. so whatever running solvents i use along the lines of my which column i put on place of my hplc and how i'm you know going to get there doesn't matter right like that the, the running conditions and all the stuff doesn't matter yep. they actually picked like a pretty poor method it's kind of nuts and you should say you have to I do was... this method or cross validate against it with something better yes, so that yes. you do at least this in your performance and better is always allowed so it's kind of ridiculous in my opinion to stifle innovation stifle economic drivers and say everyone does this like yep that's just senseless um it's like saying everyone drive a yellow car why? Because you said so. Like we're gonna stop car wrecks now. Yeah, yeah. So everyone gets a four <laughs> cylinder. That's it. You're like, but I could make a six. Can we not have a faster car? Like, um, still under the speed limit, so it should be okay, right? right. Now, so it, it's it really doesn't make much sense to say everybody do this exact method. Now they say I want you to. I think California does it right that the lab picks the sample. So sure. you know, if I pick things off the shelf, I better do that with enough shelf sampling to say this is representative of the batch, homogenize that, and then say, okay, this is the result I got using this method. And if I could do that method or a method that's better, maybe I go faster, maybe I'm cheaper, maybe I don't have to use the same cost and I can offer better value. That should be allowed. Yeah. But we should all get the same number within a reasonable plus minus, right? So they are expecting everybody to get the same number. But what they don't have the ability to really stop is the method says use 200 milligrams of flour to prepare your sample. Okay. Well, I wrote 200 milligrams down, but I used 300. Right. So my numbers yeah. looked a yeah. lot bigger. Or, you know, I said I diluted that with, you know, 15 mils of solvent, but I really only used 10. That's right. Yep. So yep, my dispenser was wrong or my volumes were off or my scale wasn't that like they aren't requiring like automated capture of every step along the way of the sampling so that I can still game that system in certain ways, right? So yep. you could game your calibration curve. I yep. wouldn't know it that well. You could game how much you're actually weighing and putting in there. You know, that's not um, electronically captured or robotically done, right? There are humans involved, yep. so they're prone to gaming the system same with the solvents and same with you know other things to get it into the machine to run it that way so we still see like 
there probably will still be problems, right? I can't confirm Absolutely. that we're still seeing these yeah. labs are actually out there with, you know, values like that. Um, still a little too early to tell, but there's still a great potential. We know some understood how to do it and we're purposely doing it. You have a large margin of error that's permitted, which doesn't need to be that large anymore. So yeah, when California yeah, started, they were like, we don't want anyone to fail for like the reason of we made the, the parameters too tight. How do we like just start with a broad thing? And then we should see from data what would really make sense. Okay, well, we have enough of that now. So let's tighten yeah. up the variable window. Uh, right. You know, we don't need a plus minus 20, 30%. That seems <laughs> to be a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, tightening that up, saying, hey, these things need to be captured, or I need to scrutinize what you did on camera, or I need to stand there and watch. Watch you as a lab, just run like 30 samples or send in blind samples, right? We're doing right. proficiency yeah. testing when the lab knows they're being tested. It's not really a test. You're right. Yep. Well, you know, it's kind of like, hey, here's the sample I'm going to check. So make sure you do this one right. But the other 99 you did today, <laughs> we don't know. So you can do whatever you want with them. That's right. It's got to be like, I don't know when it's coming. I'm not sure which one it is. It may be all of them. So I better make sure all of them are always done right. And I'm kind of like sitting on the one-legged stool to make sure I'm always on point for every single thing that I do. Because if I fake that one, that might be the one I'm being tested on. That doesn't yeah. exist. So if I tell you I'm testing you on these samples, I'm not checking all the other ways that you could vary, you know, the shenanigans and prepping stuff to get your results higher. Why do we expect it to change radically? Like yeah. we yeah. haven't really fixed, and the variable <clears throat> window is huge. We haven't really fixed the real problem. We said everybody should do this. And their assumption is everybody's a great actor and they're going to all want to be. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, have you not seen the data so far? Like, like we have we not been paying attention? Not. <laughs> right? like, this was the same mistake made when we thought um, accreditation would fix the problem. Yeah. I was um, like, you can validate the wrong thing too and say that right. I repeatedly get this same answer, even though it's wrong. Absolutely. Uh, yep. You can. Like, yes, I've seen it done. <laughs> you can, you can totally do very honest validations and get through your whole accreditation process, do everything right. But like you were saying, when it's go time with an actual client sample, you can still do the wrong thing yeah, and, and yep. it not get missed. And I, I had people immediately sending me um, the news articles about the testing rule changes. And they were like, yes, here we go. And I was like, my prediction is you'll see an average THC, average reported THC number drop for a while, maybe three months, maybe six months or so. And then you're going to see it creep back up. Because that's that's what happened. I've seen that happen multiple times when this problem has been addressed and the labs get scared and they tighten up for a little while until yeah. they get comfortable and then and then no one's change. still looking. Right. And I've already <laughs> seen reports of uh thirty-five percent flower um under the new testing in California. Um not surprised. That's so a yeah so it's one of I mean, these i try to laugh that, about it so i don't lose my mind because that's exactly right i mean so that's where i'm at i mean if you um, try if you take it too seriously you'll just uh you'll crack um yeah it's like comical you thought that would fix the problem right <laughs> right right, like, right yeah and really so now still don't get what people are like and how they're operating out here no they, st they, they still haven't haven't quite figured out and i hope they do i mean i uh, as someone was telling me recently, they were like, you're sounding so pessimistic these days. And I was like, it's not, I really don't want it to be pessimism. I'm just realistic. I've just watched it at this point. It's been 10 years or more that I've been involved in, in the lab space. And, you know, I just don't see, I just don't see much changing until the culture changes. And I'm actually, I've been working on a, um, um, I'm co-authoring a chapter for Wiley for a, a textbook that's coming out uh, later next year, or the year after. But one of the subsections and one of the chapters I'm working on is can regulations fix uh, lab shopping? And one of the things that I talk about in there is like, really, no. I mean, if there is a cultural, you know, if there is a demand for higher numbers, we will see higher numbers. Um, and And some lab will find a way to deliver those if there's a demand from the industry for it. And, you know, everyone participates in that problem. And until everyone participates to fix it, um, I don't see it going away. Um, it's it, there's just we well, have much to reward the good actors and punish exactly. the bad actor. Right. Exactly. So you have to say this bad actor is out. If you're a bad actor, you're going to go that way, too. Right. Like no mm -hmm. license, no permission. You're done. So enforcement on that really has to have teeth and be, you know, actionable. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
hopefully we get more good actors than bad actors, right? Problem is we got more bad actors than good actors, right? Yeah. I'm so glad we left the lab testing game. Like, I'm, like every day we kind of like at least once a week, yeah. over, like joking, like, thank God we decided to do that because it would be miserable. It was the only job you're accurate and you lose a client, right? Your only right. place you're asked to be a good scientist, but not be a good scientist, like be really Yep. being bad and you'll be rewarded economically by capturing more market share it's like but i won't sleep at night because that's not right <laughs> right uh, I, I feel my soul a, slowly yeah, melting away like, but okay that. um but it's not reward like i think the regulator assumption is everybody here wants to be a good actor and if there's a way of interpreting things for good or for bad they'll always choose good i'm like that's probably a, you know, that's a nice place to live. That's a good place to start in terms of assumptions. We should hopefully start there thinking of people in general that I'm okay with that. But you now have data that says that's not happening in this industry. Maybe it happens in other industries. I'm not so sure that either, but it's, you know, it's definitely clearly not happening here. You give them a chance to go ahead and interpret something in a fashion that would be perceived as bad. It seems like, it, but it's economically rewarding. They're off and running with it. Yeah. So you have to find where those are and set, you know, limits and parameters that say you can't go over here. And if you do, you're done. And if yeah. there's no strict enforcement on that, others are going to be like, I'll keep getting rewarded. And others may be like, well, if, even if I only get rewarded for two years, it's economically worth right. it because exactly. I'm not really that into lab testing. It's not my life. I don't care go make money for two years, take that money and go figure out how to make more money. So if you can't stop that from coming in or persisting, you know, write whatever rules you want. It's not going to matter. Yep. Absolutely. So and, I think and, they have to write rules that enable them to stop that. And that is possible. I mean, it is doable, but it may be they need in concert with leg legislation, right? You need laws and rules that kind of go lock, you know, lock and key there to say, okay, if they are breaking your rule, then the legal enforcement is you're out and you're out for good. Um, mm -hmm. You, your wife, your extended family, and no one else can have an investment in any lab or any license in the industry. Um, you know, that might might need to feel like it's pretty extreme until it actually pulls it back, but we didn't start that way. And now it's really run way off the rails. So you're going to need things that probably aren't comfortable to come into play to get it back to where it should be. Well, and what I've seen too, <clears throat> because we don't have federal legalization or any sort of interstate regulation, you have people, and I'm sure you can think of a few, because uh, we know some of the same people um, <laughs> that run from state to state like so yeah. they may start a lab in one state it fails then they run to the next state and do the whole game all over again um, and the application it. looks good because i got experience exactly <laughs> right? exactly and there's nothing there's nothing really following them to hold them accountable um it's not like in the any bad driver that gets a speeding ticket but they don't report the points to the other state and they're like cool i'm gonna get a speeding ticket over here and it's <laughs> Yeah, yep. that, that is a problem. I mean, it's a big problem. I know some states do ask, have you ever had a regulatory infraction in another state? Mm -hmm. But, yep. you know, if you didn't get one and you just closed and, and failed or said, hey, Which I know it's coming, often it's time happens. to go. Or, yep. you know, they sent me the letter, but it wasn't really fully officially an infraction, so I could still check the box, time to go. Um, you know, the other states aren't, they probably don't have the ability to check out your operating history the way that they should. Right. Um, which is a, a big problem, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's still a still a wild world. And I, you know, it's nice to see people, you know, getting excited about changes to the the way labs operate. And I do want to see it go in a uh, positive direction. But um, I'm glad to hear everything you just said. It's in line with everything I've been thinking, too, that this will definitely not be enough. And um, it is, you know, like you were saying, too, it's it's weird to set like a, a bar that you can't do better than you know it's like yeah. everyone must perform at the minimum yeah. and uh that's that a, that's does not a... motivate us you know sci <laughs> yeah. scientists that want to do it better like to come in there and be like do the same thing there's two types those that love to do the same thing repeatedly all the time and that's a great <laughs> job for them then there's others that are like there's got to be a better way and yeah the better way folks aren't coming in when you tell them they're not allowed to go look at a better way no and a shame and this actually brings up a point that I've been thinking about a lot that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, I've been working with a lot of uh, like colleges and universities, guest speaking and stuff and talking to 
you know, either undergraduates or graduates that want to get into cannabis science um, in different levels. Some of them are wanting to get on the cultivation side or analytical chemistry side, you know, different areas. And one thing that I've tried to be mindful of when I'm talking to them is to try to help them understand some of the unique things that they need to be prepared for if they plan to enter the cannabis space, because they'll end up dealing, it's not just dealing with startups, but also, yeah. you know, the regulatory flux and everything else. So <clears throat> what is some of your uh, thoughts and advice to kind of the cannabis scientists of tomorrow that are sitting in grad school or undergrad right now and have their eyes, you know, on different areas of the industry, what would be some advice you could give them? I'd love to ask if they have to take a cannabis ethics class. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's like, a good one. Bring yeah. the cannabis ethics society, go for that. Um, Steve, you know, get some folks doing it the right way. Um, I mean, it's an exciting industry. It's a sustainable one. It's not going to go away. And it's a plant. Right. So if you don't like this plant or this plant wasn't working out for you, if you learn plants, you probably have applicability towards other plants, which is yep. great. Right. So that would be in dietary supplement world, you know, nutraceuticals, food. Um, you shouldn't think of I'm going to pigeonhole myself into only cannabis. Yes. Um, you know, cannabis is where I'm starting. It's an important one. It's a big plant, big market, not going to go away. Um, as a scientist, we're really important in managing regulations and understanding the technical complexities that go down with, you know, which molecule is allowed where or permitted at what levels. How do I yeah. manage contaminations? What's my manufacturing process? What's, you know, what is GMP? What does that really mean? What am I testing? What am I testing? What's fit for purpose testing? Um, all of those things, you know, applied to plants, it's still applicable in the pharma world, still applicable yeah. in, in other industries. So, you know, it's great. Be passionate about cannabis. It's probably an area that's going to soon come to recognize your skill set and expertise is needed more than it currently does. Um, you know, you probably have a good future or possibility of a good future, but you also have applicability towards other things. It doesn't yeah. like I was so lucky when I went into grad school, uh, Nobel Prize winner, George Olaf, he won for carbocations and chemistry, you know, during my interview kind of told me he's like, well, you know, like whatever you do in grad school doesn't mean that that's all that you do for life. You're kind yes. of coming here to learn how to learn and kind of coming here to learn That's how right. to be a chemist. But chemistry is huge and applicable in so many other places. Whatever you do here, whichever advisor or person that you pick doesn't mean you're only going to do that for the rest of your life. Couldn't have been more true for me because I didn't learn a thing about cannabis chemistry when I was yeah. in grad school. Well, and that's amazing advice um, too. That's really yeah. good insight to have as a graduate student because I definitely felt pressure as I was getting into what I was studying and like some of the jobs I was doing in grad school, you know, you do feel that pressure of like, is, is this what I am now? Is this what I do? Right. Yeah. Like, am I a boron chemist? Cause that's all I studied <laughs> for five years. Like, uh Oh, um, that's a good one though. It wouldn't be bad, but no, you are a chemist, right? You're, and even as a, like, I'm an organic chemist by training in grad school, but we started in analytical, right? Cause yeah. I use that as a tool. So how do I apply chemistry, right? Your degree is a PhD in chemistry. Your position on a certain specific topic for your thesis was on something probably super narrow banded that you felt was the only world for like the last few years and came out to be a couple hundred pages of whatever that no one probably ever read. But, you know, fine. I know how to do these things. I can dive deeply into the field and I can go use that elsewhere. Yep. Um, you know, we had, I was lucky enough to have other folks come in because of George Ola that they would like luminaries in the chemistry space. And Steve mm -hmm. Lippard was one from like MIT that said, you know, I'm a scientist that will look to use tools or develop tools that are needed to solve a problem. So yes. call it chemical biology, call it biological chemistry, call it biochemistry, call it chemistry, physics, biology. I don't care what you label it. I'm going to go solve this problem. And then he described how they came up with cisplatin to cure testicular cancer, right? And it, you know, used a, a lot of different tools, organometallic chemistries, you know, some genetic stuff, mm -hmm. like all sorts of things. And you're like, Okay, like now I just have molecular tools. Like they don't call me a molecular tool artist or anything, but but your position in chemistry, whatever you're going to study for a few years is not the only thing that you will ever do unless you choose to do so. So you might get good at something. It might be a lifelong project. I jumped into cannabis thinking 
there's a lifetime worth of work here for me. Mm-hmm. So it, it's fine if you try to do that kind of thing. But I wouldn't be fearful that I'm going down the path and saying, are there only going to be so many jobs? Um, there are going to be crazy challenges. Companies are going to go under. Companies are going to yeah. consolidate. Companies are going to show up. You know, We're going to have federal changes. And big companies might take their folks from tobacco or other plant industries to come in and apply the tools they've learned. Um, there will be opportunity. There will be plenty of new opportunity, but there will be challenges of, you know, what does job security look like in the cannabis in- industry? <laughs> not, oh, I don't want to touch that one. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, a rough one, one. right? Yeah. So, but what is job security at Pfizer, right? You know, yeah. like everyone's like, why are you an entrepreneur? I'm like, because I'd like to try and control some of my own future if mm-hmm. I can. I wouldn't want to be a scientist that all of a sudden they're like, hey, 10,000 people got fired at this place in Kalamazoo because we shuttered the plant. Right. Yeah. Like maybe some of them we moved in somewhere else if they chose to move because we thought they were really worth keeping. But it's just numbers on a page to somebody that's got to watch the balance sheet. That's right. Um, You know, what's security? Like you're working at Pfizer or Merck. You would think that is job security, but it isn't always, I think, what we would hope or perceive it to be. So your skills as a chemist or your skills as a scientist, that's security, right? I learned this great skill set. I learned how to work on these things. I learned how to apply them. And whatever tool or industry comes up or whatever thing I want to tackle, I can take that fundamental understanding and apply it to it. So going down this science path, it's probably a good one. I don't think we're going to see the world need less science and oh, more no. political science, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> we're not we're probably going to see more of that, but you know, it's yeah. getting more technically complex. It's getting more, you know, advanced. There's probably plenty of space for scientists in some way, whether it's here, the moon or Mars or elsewhere, that we're going to need those types of skill sets. So I'd feel good about being in school. I'd also make sure I didn't just study cannabis, though. I would kind of yeah. look ancillary. You know, one of the neat places are interfaces, right? The biological chemistry, or when you start to apply two things together, you know, Hey, that's not in my field. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't go see it. Maybe you should take right. an hour and go check mm-hmm. it out. Um, you know, my little kids asked me, like, did you like school? I'm like, I love school. It's like the greatest thing ever. I wish I could go back with you because I, yeah. I didn't have the confines of I had to get this done to go make money. I could go spend an hour learning something new. I could go explore different stuff because I had more time and you know less pressures for other things than you do as you get older. So enjoy the education, maximize it for whatever you can. Your schools and your universities are doing far more than just cannabis chemistry. What else can you learn? What else is an opportunity? And what else might you, you know, find out that you like and like to do or see like, hey, because of this, if I apply that thinking over here, all of a sudden something new Mm -hmm. opened up that no one else was thinking about. Like you're learning how to learn and how to apply and how to think. Like that's probably the most important part of school, especially graduate school, that you're just really learning how to be a better thinker, um, whatever you might want to label it as or whatever's your topic of interest at this time. If you think of it as not finite or pigeonholed, I think you're better off and you probably are more comfortable like, great, I'll go down the path. And if I can't get a cannabis job, well, no one's going to say you can't touch me because or you're untouchable because you dealt with cannabis. I'm like, oh, you probably learned some neat things, probably cutting edge things. Would you like to come over here in the corn industry and see what we can do together? Right. You'll probably have good applicability elsewhere. No, I like I like all of that. And I, I like that you touched on the fact that it's important not to focus on just studying cannabis, because something that's been on my mind you know, um, a lot of colleges are starting these uh, sort of cannabis-focused science programs, which is cool. I, I, I love that people have the opportunity to study cannabis, because certainly when I was in college, there were no opportunities to study cannabis in any way. Not and formally. I was, you know, and I was at <laughs> Ole Miss, and, you know, so I did get to at least see the R&D oh, wow. lab and, yep. and, and that stuff, but, um, you know, that was rare and hard to, <laughs> to make happen. And so it is a different world, but I do worry sometimes that these programs um, kind of lead people away from broader um, kind of subjects that they really should be studying that would include cannabis, but also give them a little context outside of that to see where um, that all fits. So, you know, like cannabis, it really fits under like pharmacognosy. I mean, that's kind of it's it's one of of many subjects of pharmacognosy um and you know so if you were to 
but packaging like regulation labeling yeah yeah um there and you know there are so many things uh security (laughs) right like i'm an expert in the cannabis world well actually i just took my security pieces and went and built you know worked at a jeweler um Mm -hmm. helped you know banks reassess their scenarios there's there are so many things inside of cannabis it's not just thc right right it's not just molecules it's like many many things so like extraction technology Mm -hmm. okay but i mean we extract tons of things around the world right so now you've learned about the principles of this and you can apply it to something else um Mm -hmm. because i'm with you like i think people are like oh it's like i got a cannabis curriculum what does that mean like what exactly would yeah. that mean? Like how many other classes do you have, you know, like two cannabis classes and the rest is like law and regulation and labeling and packaging right. science and, you know, distribution. And, you know, how do I think of supply chain security, all sorts of other stuff that could come into uh, the umbrella of the word cannabis. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fun for us to think about how many cultivars are represented when I say cannabis, right? <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah. Well, how many disciplines might be represented in a cannabis curriculum? Yeah. Many, it is not just one, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from genetics and biology to chemistry, to manufacturing science, to regulatory, to law, to, you know, pharmacognosy, pharmaceutical sides, everything mm-hmm. else that you think of that's, I think the challenge for the schools are like, do they specialize it a little bit more towards one of those slants um, or not? But learning things in this industry, they're applicable in every other one because this industry is built on all the pieces of the other ones to say, okay, this was what worked or this is what should be better. Um, And to kind of circle back a little bit, I don't want consumers or patients to think, oh, this is like a disaster because the labs are such a mess. You know, I was asked, like, it is better that you have like what you have today, right? We had no regulations for testing. Like we saw a lot of pesticides oh, and yeah. large amounts yeah. on the products. <clears throat> it is way better that that is here. Is it perfect? No. And it can it be improved? Absolutely. But is it a step better than what we had had before all this came? Absolutely, 100%, yeah. right? So it's better. It will get better than what it is. It's not worse. It's not that you shouldn't go shopping at a licensed <laughs> dispensary. Um, we should encourage folks to try to you know, support the system and the good, good folks that are trying to operate according to the rules so that we can advance it and make sure that it gets better. Um, but you know, it kind of <laughs> encompasses everything in that respect. It just don't yeah. want the consumers to think it's a nightmare. No, that's a really, really good point. Like I remember those early white papers that were coming out and uh, oh gosh, what would that have been like 2012 or something? Um, yep. 12, that, 13, 14, 15. That were just first like, starting Ooh. and you were involved in some of those that were uh, finding like, oh, there's a lot of pesticides and a lot <laughs> yeah. of cannabis. Uh-oh. And yeah. that was before uh, there were really any uh, requirements anywhere to test pesticides. Oregon had this like obscure rule of test across four categories of pesticides, any pesticides you want. And so <laughs> labs would test for like eight eight distinct pesticides and that's it that no one's ever used since exactly. the 50s like we're sure you'll yeah. pass it's fine yeah. um yeah so it, it's come a long way so that's a really important um important piece to note that you know those of us that have followed it all and are trying to make it better we get caught up in the uh the minutia of a lot of it um because you know we see sort of relatively easy ways it could be made even better if we could just go in and, and fix it ourselves yeah. Um, couple sentences here, guys. We're all right, yeah. Just yeah. tweak that definition a little yeah. bit and we're good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's an important clarification to make any patients or anything um, listening. It's not quite as bad as a lot of folks uh, make it seem. And certainly the quality of cannabis is better than it's ever been in terms of contaminants um, and that sort of thing. Yep. Cannabis has never been safer to consume. Um you know, within a licensed regulated system. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Within we'll the licensed qualifier. regulated. Yep. Exactly. I mean, you can Important see it, right? Like we, we lived it, right? We saw it like, okay, yeah. this is unregulated and there's a lot of stuff out here. Yep. Rules come about that some people get better, others still failed their first crop, right? Yep. But after that, like you could see the number of failures just radically declined because it, everyone adapted. Oh, we can take do this long. better. I don't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. It 
took like one economic cycle, right? right. One like, wait, I can't sell that? Okay, what do I have to do to do that? So it, it did get fixed rather radically and quite considerably. So, um, you know, today when we see a pesticide failure, it may be there, there's a very small amount of it still on there. Whereas before regulations, there could have been a <laughs> lot of it on there. I mean, it would be um, 1000x the allowable, you know, whatever yeah, normal allowable like, limit. Problems. Yeah. 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 Now you might as well have been applying it. Like that's, you know, it's not not what you see elsewhere. <laughs> Put some drops of pesticide on my bud before yeah, I smoke yeah. it. Yeah. So um, one thing I wanted to, a couple things I want to make sure to get to, but um, since the last time we talked, you know, it's been a couple of years, but there was a paper that came out. Um, I have to remind myself what year it is. It's 2024 now. So I guess it would have been um, last year, I think, on um, the these... Um, seeing acetone as a byproduct of terpenes in cannabis testing. Yep. Um, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I know it's a little late because that paper's been out a little while, um, but I wanted to to make sure to hit that because that was um, a project sure. that I was I, th I found really fascinating when I saw it come out. And um, so let's uh, kind of change gears a little bit and dive into some of that. So in summary, you know, you may see things fail for residual solvents. Um, why were you seeing a residual solvent failure or even presence? I mean, like there was none of that around. I know there was none of that around. I did how, not use acetone. How might this be happening? There's no acetone in the lab, right? Yeah. You know, I don't think the person setting up the samples was using a pound of nail polish remover before they got in here. So what's going on? Um, so, you know, we had seen some weird anomalies and we're like, we should probably look at that. And it would be good to let everyone know that this is a problem and here's a potential solution or way to kind of mitigate it. And just be aware that, you know, if it is a problem, maybe we should check the limits of some of the molecules that we're setting for those types of products, or do we have a method that we can eliminate the problem? So we kind of demonstrated, you know, it's the air and reactions inside of the, the residual solvent vial right while you're preheating it and getting it ready for injection you're having chemistry happen you're not really analyzing exactly what's sitting there you're changing it before you send it down the path and into the injector and, and to, here's to, how it was changing to pause just for a second in case anyone is totally unfamiliar with how the testing works just to like paint can you paint a very quick simple illustration which you kind sure. of did but just assume that folks yep. listening know nothing about it at all yep you take your sample, you place it in a sample vial, you crimp it and close it, and you put it in the auto sampler, which warms or heats it to a specific temperature. So that the idea is that you're going to lift the gas or lighter volatile molecules up into the headspace, which is the area above the sample and still in the vial. And in that space that's up there, that, that gaseous space, that's what you're sampling and pulling out to put down your um, your column and into your injector eventually. So you're trying to grab the gas on top of your oil sample. And in trying to warm that and get that gas to get out of any of the oil in there, you are changing some of those things. And some are more susceptible towards those changes than others. So air is not just you know, one molecule, unfortunately, I think like, <laughs> most people are like, what? Like we think of oxygen. Well, that's actually a small percentage. You don't want to breathe air is, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be bad, right? We'd probably have bigger dinosaurs if that was actually the case now. <laughs> um, kids always ask me what happened. I'm like, the air changed, couldn't support the large m mammal. So, um, you know, it's 20% of our air is oxygen, right? Mostly nitrogen and some other sure. stuff, but we have a little bit of ozone floating around. We have some other, you know, nitric radicals and stuff like that so atmospheric chemistry wild stuff right you can yeah. get some really interesting chemistry that happens that way but you can form other things you know once one starts all of a sudden cascades happen they react with themselves and all sorts of other things show up so air not being air right it's not pure air it, it has oxygen other ozone other radicals other things in there can react with these terpenes or other molecules that you've got in your sample not butane, you know, per se, but it may cause a solvent like acetone to form. So it's pretty well established. The atmospheric guys have looked at things, you know, like what happens to pining and other mm -hmm. these alkene-like uh, compounds and how they might, you know, open up just like an ozonolysis type of reaction that we've learned in, in chemistry would kind of do. And all of a sudden you start to see acetone or methanol or other, other types of things that you're like, I know I didn't put in there. 
Um, so removing the oxygen and trying to get rid of all those things and purging it showed that you could greatly diminish that. You know, we didn't do like freeze thaw, go super psycho crazy with making sure there was no oxygen in there before it got heated. That's a little operationally complex, but demonstrated the point of it's not there. It's forming in your sample, you know, prep before it goes through the machine. Um, and to be aware of it, that, you know, maybe you could do something even quick and dirty like we did to just lower that number and prove to yourself it wasn't really in the sample or that it really right. was in the sample. Um, so we hope that it kind of in, it alerted everyone that this could be a problem. Um, if a regulator says you have to GMP test all of your ingredients mm -hmm. and you see this ingredient and all of a sudden you're saying, why is there so much acetone in here? What are you guys doing? <laughs> They're like, we don't know. Right. We never used acetone. So I have no clue either. Um, that it will kind of help illuminate that or help the testing labs develop methods or, or kind of procedures around mitigating that as a potential problem. So we're not going yeah. down the wrong path uninformed. Well, I know um, <clears throat> I had a lab several years ago, two, maybe two, two or three years ago, it might've been 2020, um, that I was talking to that asked me, um, they're like, hey, do you normally see acetone in vape pens? And I was like, uh, not to my knowledge. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, and they were talking about how it was a problem they were dealing with and they couldn't figure out where it's coming from. And um, I'm, I hope that they saw this research come out because I speculated then when I was talking to them, I was like, maybe there's some reaction byproduct or something. You know, I don't. I, I I said I was like I doubt they're using acetone, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. And so it was cool to see that research came out because then it clicked for me. I was like, oh okay, this might have been like some heavy terpene, um, you know, extracts yep. or something, and how they were being prepped. Um, you know, they were just seeing these these little um, little anomalies from that. It also made me think about how this influences uh, validating terpene methods on the cannabis testing side. Um, because for anyone who doesn't know, validating terpene methods can be very difficult um, because these molecules are so sensitive because they yep. change so easily. They're like, and a lot of terpenes are pesticides, but um, some folks are familiar with the fact that pesticide testing is hard. Terpene testing is equally as hard as pesticide testing. Yeah. It's basically the same yeah. thing. Mercy uh, Labs not got the cannabinoids right. We're like, there's no hope. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you think that's, you know, if that's a problem for you, like, you can't get a pesticide nor the terpenes and good luck. Like, metals probably is just going to destroy everything but that. But yeah, right. they're, yeah. these are tricky. They're comp. There's a lot of them. You know, a lot of them have very similar elution properties and running times. And it's, um, it is a more challenging analysis than just the, maybe the routine cannabinoid one. Yeah. And I, I've noticed too, in a lot of states, a lot of testing labs don't actually fully validate their terpene methods. Um, I've started to ask people to pay attention to that and report yeah. back to me. Um, it's extremely rare. Mississippi requires it, but I've also consulted with labs and seen what they're doing. It's, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, if you were to get a, uh, like a PT for terpenes, it's going to be a, basically a dilute and shoot. Yeah. And um, yeah. the regulators yeah, don't really know much. So even if it's quote unquote validated, like, is it really? Um, what am I, what am I testing? What did I really validate? Um, validation is great for repeatability, right? It says right. I'm getting the same things, but I can still, you know, report wrong, <laughs> right? Right? Like, I, yep. whoops, these two are really Good. close, and I called it the wrong thing, and I repeatedly exactly. called it the wrong thing, and <laughs> yeah. I have you can more pharmacine than everyone else for some reason. You can um, consistently be wrong, yeah. Definitely yeah. can be the case of that too. So validation, I think the thought is, hey, if I can repeatedly get it, it's very likely to be accurate and that's true most of the time just not every time right um but it's a good step and if they aren't validating it it's because they thought they couldn't because they're probably seeing things like all over the place mm -hmm. um and yeah some of the analytical approaches you may take to embarking on the terpene path may be very irreproducible <laughs> and you're for these types of reasons and you're like I don't get it. And I'm not sure I'm going to validate, but if I don't have to, I'll charge someone for it, give them some right. result, let them go out there and talk about whatever they think is in there. Um, right. And until you or I show up to go say like, nope, I checked it and that's wrong. You know, what's happening, right? Unless the regulator says, hey, our lab got it right. And you right. don't have these things in here. This is a misrepresentation to the consumer. You have a problem. Um, yep. Or some lawyer says that like we're, you know, we're going to be here. 
Um, yeah. But you're right. That, at least if they validate it, they feel better about it than others. Um, and that's a good step, you know, in the it right is. direction. It's a, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And this, this leads into, um, you know, I've wanted to talk to you about what the workshop's been up to um, besides just the, uh, you know, the research paper that we were just talking about. I got excited when I saw the um, on tour brand launch um that y'all been up to all sorts of things you want to dive into that Tell yeah yeah no thanks for bringing that up yeah um so we have provided terpene ingredients to the industry for over 10 years now yeah. so we had done that you know b2b based very you know behind the scenes powered a lot of the brands that are famous um yeah. a lot of the brands we work with lead their states and their geographies that they operate within are Profiling is deep and rich. We understand what the plant does and can do. Um, we've got a, a large amount of data that tells us all these things with great accuracy. Um, and we've been able to parlay that into formulated terpenes for the use predominantly in vapes, but it also mm -hmm. applies in edibles, topicals, and, and everything else that's an infused product. Um, and I think Ontour is kind of like saying, hey, we're bringing that to everyone now. So anyone that's curious about terpenes, anyone that wants to try a little of them out, um, any of the other existing operators or brands that we don't work with today that would like, you know, high quality, top tier professional products um, with secured, stable supply chains. You know, we manage hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ingredients. We check their quality. We know what's going in into all of our products. We know what's going out the door. And we've built very complex, flavorful formulations. So we call them like effectful flavors. Like mm -hmm. they drive the effects of cannabis. They are often touted. I don't know why you call yours, you know, Bubba Kush or Jack Herrera. Everyone else does, but yours felt different. Yours felt stronger. Um, it's because we really studied and tried to capture the essence of cannabis and what's going on there. Um, and Ontour is just our way of trying to bring it to everyone, make it a little easier e-commerce platform mm -hmm. um, and really kind of like coming out of the lab saying, hey, we really think we've got a good handle on things. We can navigate all the regulatory waters. We've helped regulators craft, you know, some of their things. Oregon's a place that's a great example. Yeah. When Valley showed up, they really had <clears throat> their own challenges with it. Um, you know, what are you putting in these things? We're inhaling them, right? What, how do we know that the quality is what it's supposed to be? And how do we get a consistent reproducible cannabis experience from an extract? Yeah. Yep. That is really, I think, you know, a lot of the fundamental principle of if it's a medicine, it should be standardized. If it's a brand that's going to win, I don't want to taste something different in New York than I taste in California. I surely don't want to feel differently in New York than I do in California. So if you want brand integrity, if you want medicinal effects, if you want physiological effects driven by cannabis, that's what we believe we're driving here, you know, with this entourage or on tour, uh, you know, the entourage effect, this ensemble yeah. effect that comes from all these components. It's not just cannabinoids, right? You've got to put yep. terpenes in there. Um, so we, yeah, we've taken some time to try and put all the work that we've done for over 10 years into one place up on this e-commerce platform. More than half of our work is customized though. So a lot yep. of what we do isn't, isn't up there, um, but we're happy to customize formulations for folks. We can build them off their own profiles. Um, we have a great way of doing lots and lots of that type of work. And folks are often like, yours tastes the best, yours feels the best. Um, and we're, you know, price competitive, certainly with everyone else. So we're just trying to let everyone know we're here. We are doing that. We have been doing that for a long time. Yes. Yep. Our early customers asked us to keep it as quiet as possible for them. So they had, you know, a little bit of a competitive advantage against others. Um, and folks would still find us, but now we're like, it's, it's fair game. We're going to let everyone know it's here. Yeah. And if there's, you know, anything that you're, anyone needs in the terpene world, we hope that they see that as a good landing spot and can kind of come find us through it. Yeah. I mean, something that excited me, you know, we mentioned at the, the first interview when you were on the podcast, you know, about your history and everything, but the workshop really, um, got started as a, a way to try to understand cannabinoids and terpenes i mean that was um going back to the, the the testing side and trying to you know you're one of the first labs to make terpene testing available for people to even start to um to see some of that and that was long before um the cannabis testing um 
industry or market yeah. or whatever was yeah. was anything formal like it is now. 2011, um, we offered yeah. our first terpene test. Gave away for free because no one knew what the word was. That's right. Meant. Scientists yeah, that's are right. trying to charge us more for some stupid test. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> I think these things are pretty important. Trust me. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, unfortunately it's, today, right? I think ever, a lot of us, but still not a lot of the general consumers know, hey, mm -hmm. these are really important to cannabis and to my cannabis product, right? Mm -hmm. It's It's got to be there in some context. And now the marketing's caught up and people are talking about them, um, but they are what differentiate it over Marinol, <laughs> right? <laughs> or over single <laughs> yeah. molecule CBD. Like it's I... not the same. And you've got to have more of this plant, you know, whole plant, broad spectrum, full spectrum. Let's argue for days and days about what those definitions actually are. Right. More molecules are better for the endocannabinoid system, you know, fine tuning, tweaking, manipulation than one single molecule by itself and that's i think what terpenes really tells us and what it yeah. really makes you feel they are unique when you put them in there um yeah. and it's fun to take the same concentrate and put you know five or ten different terpene formulations in there and consume the same amounts and be like i do feel a difference between those things um it, it really is kind of illuminating you know wouldn't pass an FDA kind of double blind study. Oh, that sure, way, but, sure, yeah. But we know those are driving the importance of cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I wanted to point out, y'all have like a. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's been a week or so since I looked at the website. Y'all have like a sample pack, right? Yep. Where you can yep. um, kind of experience some of the the different varieties there, and you've got the native blends, which are supposed to be more true to the. Um, yeah, um, the so those are sort of native uses only components found in cannabis. So gotcha. yeah. we've got strain specific, strain native ones, but the inspired ones use other sources of molecules to try and amplify different flavor profiles that we haven't quite found in cannabis yet. But nice. we tried to think that this is probably two decent, you know, regulatory designations um, yeah. for to try and help you know those that buy the products and the consumers as well. Yeah, no, I liked I liked the uh, the differentiation um, quite a bit because in some states, depending on the regulations and stuff, um, there are some you know kind of very uh, particular requirements you know of how um, the oils that go into vapes are produced, what terpenes are going in, that sort of thing. Yep. And so that definitely helps a lot. And I wanted to say, having moved back to the southeast. And working with a lot of patients out here, I've been extremely encouraged at how quickly patients on their own are learning that cannabis is more than THC. And I mean, I've got, you know, 60, 70 year old ladies that are coming in asking me um, what products are around that have some interesting terpenes in them. And I'm blown away because I'm like, uh, I didn't nice. prompt you to ask that, you know, yeah. and I'll ask them like, what? I'm like, for what years, a... I felt like a crazy person. I know. Yeah. These things. Right. I was like, what makes you uh, ask that? And they say, well, I noticed, you know, that the THC number didn't really matter so much. And then I, you know, did some reading and learned about um, these things called terpenes. So um, the consumer education piece is really, getting there, um, which is really, really exciting because as consumers are putting pressure on these other quality attributes, that then pushes the dispensaries to value products differently, and it pushes producers to then be able to present uh, more interesting products that um, are noted, you know, more by their, their aromas and everything more so than their THC content, and actually give those things a chance, which then going back to where our conversation started, plays into the cycle around THC inflation that as people start to appreciate other qualities of cannabis more and those demands are changing, um, it starts to take less weight around away from that THC number and overall over the long term discourages THC inflation because people don't care quite as much. Um, so I've, I've been very, you know, I started off this conversation kind of pessimistic, but I'm very optimistic to see where the consumer education is going, especially having moved from the West Coast into a um, market that is very new to uh, regulation and everything. And to see that the patients here are already there and are already um, evaluating the quality of cannabis in a more nuanced way um, than they were five years ago. Um, so 
there's at least that to be uh, <laughs> yeah. happy about. There's and some excited reason to about. be encouraged by. Come on, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to to see all of that, and I'm excited to see um, the workshop. You know, sort of opening itself up more and more to show off. You know what y'all have been doing for the past decade, more than a decade. Um, you know, I know some of it from from the years and everything, but it's um, it's really cool. And one thing I was going to ask you too is one service you offer, like if a producer had some, uh, let's say, line of genetics that they've kind of made their in house kind of brand, a flower or whatever. If could they like come to you and say, hey, we need to be able to make, um, you know, vapes that represent this flower as consistently as possible. Um, and we've got the yep. flower side down, but the formulating of the vapes were a little iffy about because it's not quite coming out the same every time. Is that yes. something you can take yep. on? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. We're kind of built for that. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yep. what I was thinking. Yep. So anyone listening, if you're a producer, um, you work in um, a vertical operation or whatever, make sure that the right person knows that this service exists and that this brand um, now exists because um, I definitely want to see more of these kinds of ingredients being used in products that come from a trusted place with actual scientists behind it that are actually qualifying the ingredients, qualifying the formulations, have the ability to help you get those um, to be consistent. Um, that kind of service um, is sort of masqueraded around a lot, but there are very, very few people suited to actually do it right. Um, so anyone listening, if you're not familiar with the workshop or not familiar with the Ontour brand now, go look them up because um, there really couldn't be a better <laughs> group of people to work with for this type of stuff. If you're trying to formulate with terpenes and um, make consistent extracts and things like that. Um, and that's the biggest complaint I hear from patients now um, out here is the inconsistency of product. You know, yeah. that's what, that's what everyone is really longing for. Well, don't call it the same name and have the chemistry be different. And now I'm getting different effects. Right. right. So right. we know tiny changes in some of these things can make a profound physiological effect. Yes. Um, and I think that's really horrifying to patients. That was a big driver for all of it was like, man, if you're going to say this works, don't take it from them. Right. If they finally found <laughs> right. something that worked right. other thousand choices and then you changed it behind the scenes, but labeled it, it was still blue dream. Like that couldn't be more cruel to me. Yeah. Um, so this is to try and, you know, amplify product consistency, right? Through standardization of your product, you'll have bigger brand success, bigger patient rewards, and everything's just going to go that much better, I think, for the industry yeah. um, if we can do that. So thank you for for saying that and recognizing that too. Definitely Absolutely. Yeah. That. And and hopefully we'll move into a future where no one will come to me and say, why does my vape taste like burnt hair ever again? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> <laughs> move west no <laughs> that's right, we'll yeah. come to you like yeah we'll help them fix that don't worry that's <laughs> so, right that's a problem tell them to call us we can definitely fix that for them absolutely well i, I don't want to keep you much longer i know we've been going for an hour or so here but um, i really appreciate you being willing to come back on the show i also want to make sure i don't miss this but um jeff will be participating in the master class this year so um any of you listening if you happen to be part of the master class you'll get a chance to um hear from Jeff again, and we'll be diving into uh, cannabis chemistry and testing and stuff in much more um, sort of technical in-depth uh, level. Um, so that's going to be really awesome and exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to getting that class going. Um, it'll start in March and run through the end of August. So if you haven't signed up now, go get signed up at uh, masterclasscannabis.com. And with that, everybody, uh, Jeff, I'm going to let you sign us off. Please let people know where sure. to learn more about the workshop and the Ontour brand. Sure. And yeah. No, thank you. Um, theworkshop.com, T-H-E-W-E-R-C-S-H-O-P.com. Um, and the same at The Workshop for Instagram uh, and LinkedIn. And then ontourbrand.com, E-N-T-O-U-R. B-R-A-N-D.com and at Ontour Brand on Instagram as well. And I'm at Dr. Jeff Raver. So one of three ways you can find me and find us and hopefully, you know, standardize your products and, and bring uh, an improvement to your quality level and security to your supply chain. Yes. Yeah. Many, many ways this can really take things to the next level for both the producer and the consumer. So um, yeah, great to see you again. Great to talk to you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. You as well. Thank you for the opportunity, Jason. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah.
Thanks. Have a great time. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.